Welcome to the Penny Rob Perspectives podcast. The Penny Rob Perspectives is originally produced as a radio program for the Light and Truth Radio Network, a radio ministry of the Island Ford Baptist Church in Madisonville, Kentucky, where Brother Farrell Shepherd is the pastor. Madisonville is in western Kentucky, an area known as the Penny Rile region. You can find out more information about Island Ford Baptist Church or the Light and Truth Radio Network or listen to live programming 24 hours a day, seven days a week by visiting the website of the flagship radio station, WSOF at WSOF.org. If you have a question or a topic that you would like for us to answer or discuss on the Penny Rob Perspectives, you can leave us a message by going to anchor.fm backslash Joshua hyphen Shepherd. That's S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D, the number seven backslash message. Or you may email your question to Joshua at WSOF.org. We hope that you enjoy this edition of the Penny Rile Perspectives with your host, Joshua Shepard. And welcome to the Penny Rile Perspectives. This is uh, Joshua Shepard, your host here with you today. And uh, we are uh, coming to you here on the Light and Truth Radio Network, and uh, we thank you for joining us. We are looking at, of course, we've got uh, the primary election coming up, and it has been a blessing uh, this time to have some candidates reach out to us and want to be on the program. And so I have an interview today with uh, the mayor of Somerset, Kentucky. He is uh, running for governor of the state of Kentucky. And uh, he is a Republican in the primary. It's a crowded field. Uh, but I thank you, Mr. Mayor, for coming on. His name is Alan Keck, and he's running for governor of Kentucky. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's an honor to be on your program and get to speak to some folks uh, throughout the state and looking forward to our conversation today. Okay, very good. Very good. Well, um, Mayor, would you t- tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and uh, maybe tell us a little bit about why you decided to run for governor. A- absolutely. I- I'd love to. I always start by telling my faith and family story. Uh, those are the two most important things to me. And let me, okay. let me ask, do you go by Josh or Joshua? I want to make sure I. Either, either one is fine. Uh, Joshua mostly, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, I, I like to call people by what they prefer. So we'll go with <laughs> Joshua. Okay. Uh, sounds good. I, I, w- I was saved at, at 12 years old, and I've lived my life for the Lord ever since. And my faith is foundational to me. Uh, I always tell folks that, you know, that's my decision-making matrix is rooted in Scripture and my faith. Uh, I also like to share, though, that I think that it, it's, the, it's the best part of America that we have religious freedom and liberty, that yes. I get to come onto a program like this and share my faith without fear of persecution, but also that uh, folks don't necessarily have to agree, and that's okay, uh, that yes. in America, you know, we're going to love and respect each other and hopefully treat each other with civility uh, anyway. I, I, I also encourage them, you know, as a, as a believer, uh, that, that I hope someday they'll have that relationship with the Lord, but nonetheless, they don't have to believe the same way I do. 
but my faith's very important to me. And, and subsequently, we're trying to raise our children up in that manner. Joshua, Tiffany, and I have been married for 13 years, and oh, wow. we have three girls, Olivia, Oakley, and Olson. They're 10, 8, and 5. And it's it's a treat to get to, to be their dad and get to um, experience life with my family. It's been a sacrifice uh, over the last several months, being away from them most every day. Uh, yes. But also, you know, that's not inherently unique. People have seasons of their life where they're really busy, and that's uh, yes, we don't need to necessarily glamorize politicians because of that. Um, so those are the two most important things to me. You know, why I'm in this race, I, I think, is is really quite simple. I think Kentucky has an incredible amount of potential, unmatched potential, and okay. I want to be the guy that can build a team to unleash it. And I, I think that we have languished in fourth, fifth, sixth place, sometimes second to last place uh, <laughs> out of 50 states. You know, we're usually towards the end of the line in so many things that are important, median income, yes, healthcare outcomes, workforce participation, fiscal stability, you know, things that, that they're the measures of how we're doing and Kentucky's not been doing well. And so I think I've got the executive experience to turn that around and that's why we're in this race. Okay. Uh, very good. Appreciate that. Uh, good introduction there to your family. And it sounds like you're a blessed man there with uh, your wife and children there. Uh, no doubt. Children are the heritage of the Lord. Amen. And that's, that's good. We appreciate that. Um, tell us a little bit. You mentioned about um, why you're running for governor, but tell us a little bit about some of your main uh, goals if you were to be elected to governor. What would be the first things that you would uh, work to do? For sure. You know, let me back up just a little bit and say that in my private life, I've been a CEO. I was a businessman, started in sales, worked my way up, a family company, and I took a lot of that private sector experience to the mayor's office, and we've been able to transform our small town uh, in short order. And so when we looked at what we call the Keck game plan for Kentucky, which is our platform, okay. uh, we took a lot of what we know works, uh, what we saw work in Somerset, and what I hear from other mayors across the state, and put it into this game plan. And it's four pillars, Joshua. It starts with the economy. And three quick things on the economy we need to grow uh, in population. We just finished our second slowest decade of growth in 100 years. And our neighbors to the north and south each have about 7 million people. We have 4.5 million. Yes, sir. And that's put us in a, in a disadvantage in so many ways. The second piece, along with that lack of growth, we don't have enough of the people who do live here working. Uh, our workforce participation rate has been as low as 49th in the country. And so we don't have the population density that other states do. We don't have a percentage of those population working, and that's created a real a real burden on our economy. And then the third thing is, and you all feel it in West Kentucky, uh, is border communities the most, is we're not competitive with Tennessee from an income tax perspective. We're paying an income tax, and they're not. And so I want to see uh, that go away. Uh, the second pillar okay. is public safety. Uh, we're never going to have a strong Kentucky until we have a safe Kentucky. And uh, I want to pause with the tragedy that, that happened in Louisville this week, yes, uh, yesterday, in fact, and just say that um, there's a lot of evil in this world. There's a lot of violence in this world. It's not specific um, to guns, but it does include gun violence. It includes domestic violence, sexual abuse. Uh, we, look, we're a broken world. And yes, a lot of that is encompassed in public safety. Uh, it's incumbent on any governor 
uh, to make that their top priority, and we will. Uh, we want to make sure we back anyone who wears the uniform. Okay. That that extends beyond police. You know, I say back the badge, not just the blue. So anyone who you know wears that badge, we need to honor them in word and in deed. Uh, the third pillar is education. And we talk about school choice in our education policy. We talk about early childhood education in our education policy. And we talk about raising the bar across all sectors, public, private, homeschool, whatever pathway a Kentucky family chooses, I want to make sure that their kid has world-class education and that'll happen if I'm the governor. And then the final thing is, is pro family policy. We talk a lot about life uh, as a party and we talk a lot about, um, making sure that we are pro-life and I am, uh, but I think we can do more. I think we need policies that encourage family values, encourage people to have kids, encourage people to adopt and foster, and then finally encourage families to want to move to our state. And so with that, you know, we're trying to put forward creative policies that will encourage the behaviors that we want for families instead of rewarding the negative behaviors. And so that's the, that's the four pillars of the CAT game plan. We're proud of our platform. I'm the only candidate in the race that has a full platform. And, you know, we're talking about it near and far and across the state. And we've had a great response. Well, that's good. That's good. We're talking with uh, the Somerset mayor, Alan Keck. He's running for uh, Kentucky governor and in the Republican primary, you mentioned you know, some of your, um, some of your opponents there. It's a crowded field. There's a lot of, a lot of people, your, your mayor. And um, there's a lot of people that are in the office already. And uh, some, I guess you would say some some big names, and uh, so it's good that you have a plan to to put out there to tell people what you want to do, and um, and you have a track record there in um, Somerset to to show. Uh, do you do you think that that is something that qualifies you um, th that you would say would qualify you to be the governor? Is your track record there in Somerset as mayor? I think it's a huge a huge reason. You know, there are some big names. There's people that have served statewide, um, yes, some folks that have a lot of money yes, and it's a good field, Joshua. That's the other thing. I mean, these are quality people, yes, but sir. there's not anybody in this race that brings the executive experience that I do to the, to the race, uh, in the private or public sector, you know, a mayor in Somerset, we're a top 10 city by population, top 10%. We're a, a top five city in budget, I think five or six. And so we deal with a lot of the same challenges that a governor would face. Um, economic development, public safety, infrastructure, tourism. Yes, sir. Uh, dealing with the legislative body, you know, instead of the General Assembly, for me, it's the city council. And so, excuse me. And so with that, I'm, I'm prepared. You know, we've done it. We're, we're okay. experiencing record growth in Somerset, record revenue across all sectors, record job creation, record business investment, revitalized downtown. Uh, our police chief was just chief of the year. He's now uh, president of the Chiefs Association. And so I, I'm, I'm dealing with these same types of issues and we're dealing with them well and we're growing, by the way. You know, we mentioned you know, the state's second slowest decade of growth in 100 years. Well, in that same time, we grew at over 2.5% or 200% faster. They grew at 2.8. We grew at about six and a half. And so we're a model for the, that small quintessential Kentucky community. And I'd love to take that model statewide. Okay. 
Sounds good. Sounds good. Sorry for the yawn. I need to finish up my cup of coffee, I guess. <laughs> That's okay. I got one sitting over here, too. I'm, I'm drinking on. <laughs> That's good. Uh, no, we appreciate that. Appreciate your answer there. Uh, you answered a lot of questions I, I was going to ask you already in, in a lot of your things. We may deal with some more of that as we go. You mentioned about the state income tax, and Tennessee doesn't have a state income tax. I know uh, Indiana, I believe, is really really low. Um, some other other states have that. Do, in Kentucky, the uh, state legislature, uh, you, you mentioned you would like to abolish the income tax, state income tax. The state legislature is has a plan to do that, or that looks to be the plan, and they're doing it incrementally. Do Do you agree with that plan, or do you have a different plan to to? I, I do. It? I just think anything we can do to get to zero faster, I support. Uh, okay. You know, I, I understand why they wanted to phase it. I just want to make sure we get there, and okay. we don't stall at three percent, and then we kind of become in that no man's land. Yes. Okay. But I do. I think it's good policy. Um, I'm going to listen to the legislature when appropriate. I'm going to try to cast vision and lead when appropriate. Uh, but you know, the, I do understand the need to generate and build consensus and make sure that, uh, we work alongside, alongside those men and women who represent the entire state. Um, that's why we've got separation of powers and multiple branches of government. And, uh, I want to be a governor who works with them, not against them. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, what about, you mentioned about the, the the shooting there in uh, Louisville just yesterday, and then we had a shooting just a, a few weeks ago there in Nashville, um, and it seems like there's a lot of violence. You mentioned that, not just gun violence, and it's kind of, you know, they want to talk about gun violence and, and all of this, and the gun is not violent. It's the, the, the person that uses the weapon. They use yeah, any, right. any kind of weapon. Um, but, um, what is, it is obvious that we have a problem. Uh, what do you think is the, the, the root problem and how, how does the government, what is the government's role in trying to, uh, to slow that down, to stop that as best yeah, as we can? It's a great question. It's a, I guess the question of the, of our era candidly. And so I'm going to, I'm going to share a couple thoughts with you okay. that I'll be sharing over the next several weeks. Uh, and one of these I've, I've actually been saying for the previous several, you know, I, I think that we have two really grave societal ills in this country that have led to an overall degradation of society. Uh, the first of which is we no longer fear God, you know, as a, yes. as a, as a country, I don't think that we worry or understand that scripture says there is a consequence for sin and we're a country that in too many ways has turned from God. So that's one, and that's a big one. Yes, sir. Uh, the second thing is the breakdown of the family. You know, we mm. don't have uh, a proportionate amount of the population that still has a father in the house. And yes, everybody sir. has a dad, but a lot, very few have a father. And Kentucky uh, is one of the leaders in children raised by a family with an incarcerated parent. Mm. So until we acknowledge those two things, I, I don't see us turning around a whole lot. You know, what those things have led to is a mental health crisis in this country. Um, and I tell people, I said it last night at city council meeting, you know, my faith is in the Lord. Even if you disagree with that, find some level of spiritual truth or center where life is bigger than yourself and you care more about other people than yourself. Because without that, you know, this country's doomed. Yes, uh, it, it really is. So we need to address mental health. And how do you do that? What's government's role? 
you know, we have deinstitutionalized. Used to, there was a place to send folks that were struggling like that. And now they're not. And I think it's why crime's higher. I think it's why homelessness is higher. And I think we've got to have a conversation about getting uh, those people that are dealing with real extreme mental health challenges, professional clinical help, you know, not just counseling, but real help. And, uh, you know, we want to be a part of that conversation. Yes. Okay. Uh, sounds good. You, you mentioned that about uh, kind of going to the root cause there of turning, uh, turning away from the truth or turning away from God or, or not even believing in, in a God. And, uh, we have, a lot of people that that is the case and the mental health issues we've come uh we've come to a place where one other that thought real quick joshua if you don't mind right you know i think we need to take a hard look there's a there's a consistent path on some of these shooters on the medications that they take and i mm. i think we need to take a, a deep dive into the side effects of some of these uh prescriptions to say uh i think it is we need to study, is there a common thread and are some of these uh, prescriptions becoming deadly? Uh, I, I think that we have to look at that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, on those same lines, uh, talking about prescriptions and, um, and, and drugs and that uh, legal drugs, what about um, you mentioned about the border and what about the drug crisis in Kentucky, Ill illegal drugs? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, look, we've had a war on drugs for about 40 years and the only winner in that war on drugs is drugs. You know, the drug may change, but it seems like the war hasn't. It's another subject that I, I go to the root. Why do people get on drugs? Mm -hmm. It's not, they don't get on drugs when life's good, when things are great, when they're happy, they're married, they're going to church, they're working. You know, they typically revert to them when they're desperate, uh, when they're, mm -hmm. when they have despair, when they don't have hope. And so I, I want to talk about the, the economic crisis at the border that leads to then the need for drugs. And so what I think Kentucky needs is more hope and opportunity. Uh, you know, people need to know there's something on the other side that's better than that pill or that meth or that heroin or that whatever. And until we change that, I think the war on drugs is just going to continue. And the drug may change based on convenience or cost, but it's not going to get any better. Okay. Okay. Uh, what about uh, while we're on this uh, this topic of drugs? What about uh, marijuana? Do you, what about uh, legalization of recreational or medical marijuana? Where do you stand on that? Yeah, I'm kind of split down the middle there. I'm for medical marijuana because I think it's a safer alternative to a lot of these opioids that we're talking about. But I'm against recreational because I don't think it's good for society. Um, you know, we already have a workforce crisis. I don't think we need the populace um, using recreational marijuana every day. I don't think that'll help. But um, for, for a, a controlled group of people, uh, specifically kids that battle seizures, seniors that are dealing with chronic pain or uh, issues from chemotherapy, and then our veteran community who's dealing with anxiety and PTSD, uh, insomnia, I do think that medical marijuana, you know, for those groups and, and others that, that physicians think it can help, I, I support. Okay. Okay. Uh, wh what about, um, there, there's, so he, here in Oklahoma, we have, I live in Oklahoma now, have for a couple of years, but here in Oklahoma, we have medical marijuana. We don't have recreational, but there are, in our county, there's 30,000 people or so, and about three or 400 uh, marijuana places, and you can't give it so much, but anybody can get a card to, if they have pain, if they have stress or whatever. 
And so we pretty much do have recreational marijuana. Um, yeah, I'd like have, for our controls in Kentucky to be a little tighter than that. I mean, it doesn't need to turn into a free-for-all. Let's call it what it is. I mean, if you're going to do that, just call it recreational. Exactly. Um, and so my, my hope is we'll be a little bit more stringent and strict on the application of it. Okay. Okay. Um, what about um, – you, you mentioned about your, your platform for uh, education and uh, you mentioned school choice uh, and I appreciate that. Um, what about in our schools? We have an issue in most, most neighborhoods, I guess you'd say, of, of the issue of a child that, is, that claims to be a boy when they're a girl or vice versa and using the restrooms and uh, locker rooms and all of this. What's your... What's your answer to all, all of that? Yeah. You know, I think it, it, once kids turn 18 and they want to make a decision for themselves, that'll be their decision. But I think when we're talking about our youth in public places, boys need to be boys and girls need to be girls. Uh, you know, look, if there's an accommodation of a unisex bathroom that's one in, one out, so be it. Uh, that might be a simple um, conversation to have to accommodate a select group of people. But by and large, I think that we've taken this conversation way too far. Uh, I think that we've overly sexualized society. I think that kids are exposed to a lot of nonsense that they shouldn't be at a young age. Yes, um, you know, I remember when I was nine or 10 years old, we just want to go outside and play ball and <laughs> run to the kid's house who had the best high C's or popsicles uh, in between games. You know, and now they've got Snapchat with filters encouraging them to be gay or um, transgender yes, or whatever. And, and I'm not trying to make light of the issue. I, I know that there are some kids that, um, you know, have gender dysmorphia and have some of these mm -hmm. challenges and thoughts, but you know, they're kids. Uh, and what we don't want to do is promote these things so much that anytime a young person has a challenging day, week, year, or, or season in their life, that they make a decision that they have to live with for the rest of their life. Yes, you know, I have said, and this is true. I'm not making a joke. You can't go buy a can of dip or a beer until you're 18 and then 21, you can't go get a tattoo. The thought that you can change your life forever with a gender changing surgery to me is just crazy. And yes, sir. You be allowing it. Yes, sir. And not, that, that is true. A good, a good point. Not only the, the surgery though, the hormones and um, things that they'll start them as a, at a young age that they'll never be able to recover from. Um, yeah, I agree like, with you. You know, again, those things are going against God's natural order. It's not how he designed it. Um, I know there'll be a lot of folks that disagree with that. And yes, sir. Uh, I don't draw a lot of red lines, so to speak. You know, this is one subject where um, I'm pretty firm and steadfast in it. I just don't I don't think we need to. Where do, where do you draw the line? You know, at what point do we say enough's enough? And this is one of those issues for me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. OK, very good. Let me let me pivot just a little bit here um, toward the end, and um, we're talking with Alan Keck. He's the mayor of Somerset, Kentucky, running for governor of the state of Kentucky in the Republican primary. And uh, so, of course, right now you're running in the primary, but uh, if you win the primary, you will be running in the general election, um, presumably against the Kentucky governor, uh, Andy Bashir. And um, we saw some things um, in the pandemic in the um, COVID time where the governor um, issued a, a 
warning to shut down the churches or an advisory to shut down the churches. And then he not only did that, but he, he sent the Highway Patrol out to some churches here in our listening area um, yep. to enforce that. Uh, what is your opinion of that? And does the government have any say over um, whether churches can meet or whatsoever like that? Well, they shouldn't. Uh, you know, the freedom to exercise and experience religion is sacred in this country, as I mentioned in the opening. And anyone who wants to argue to me that church isn't essential, um, that argument's not going to go very far. <laughs> you know, and I, I know that there are seasons where you say, well, you might not have to to be a Christian or to experience the Lord. I mean, yeah, I think the Holy Spirit lives in us. And so there's truth to that. But you know, the gathering of a group of believers is a, is a sacred tradition. And I would argue a necessity or an essential. And so I stood firmly yes, against sir. that. You know, now if a church made a decision based on what was best for their congregation, that was their prerogative. I, I'm not going to cr criticize a pastor for choosing that path or to go online, uh, but not to have the ability to worship in person. Uh, I, I was against then and I'm against now and I'll always be against it. I pushed back Joshua harder and faster than I think any elected official in the state, maybe in this country. And it wasn't just to yell and kick and scream. We submitted real plans. Uh, I, I gathered a coalition of mayors, over 30 in fact, to submit reopening plans on April the 20th, uh, 12 days before Governor DeSantis did, believe it or not. I think his first reopening plan was May the 2nd. Uh, okay. The next month we submitted new plans. Uh, for further reopening. And so I led in this time. This is not revisionist history. I would encourage any listener that wants to hear about that, just Google Alan Keck Fox News. You'll see uh, two different times that I was on Neil Cavuto talking about reopening in the heartland and why that was different and why we needed to have different rules than the big cities. Uh, the New York Times, which is a pretty liberal paper, as you know, um, actually ran an op-ed about my reopening plans and why I was, I was okay. pushing for, um, you know, a different pathway in the heartland. And so I'm proud of our efforts back then. I'm proud of the courage. You know, I had a lot of people uh, saying that I had blood on my hands because I was calling for reopening, but here's what we did, mm. Josh, that was different. I said, we're going to save lives and livelihoods and they didn't need to be mutually exclusive. Uh, I, I treated the virus seriously because it was serious. It was killing a lot of people. Yes, um, but it was also ruining a lot of lives because they weren't able to go to work. And so, um, you know, I, I hope that your listeners will, 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 you know, do their homework and research. And I think they'll see that I was the only candidate in this race that was that bold at that time. That's good. That's good. I appreciate that. Um, and also along those same lines there with the COVID and, and all of that, we saw the government um, twice under president Trump and once under president Biden. So I'm not, I'm not asking you to ridicule either one of them or, or even defend either one of them, but um, they sent out the, the stimulus checks to each individual. And, um, and the argument could easily be made that that helped um, these liberal states stay closed for much longer because their people wasn't crying out for to be able to go back to work to make some money. Um, but do you think that it's ever, um, in the best interest or even maybe uh, argument might can be made about w whether it's constitutional for uh, the government to send everybody a paycheck in, in his uh, essence. Um, there's a group going around trying to promote what they call universal basic income. Uh, yeah. Do you support that or any, any variation of that? 
Oh, that's a complex question. Let me, I'm going to start with the end and I'll kind of work backwards. I, I don't support universal basic income. I think that's insane. Uh, <laughs> I will say that as a general rule, I would be against the government sending checks out. The only reason I, I was okay with it in this instance, they were also telling us we couldn't work. And so if the yes, government's going to tell you you can't earn a living, then they probably do need to subsidize it. <laughs> but boy, that needs to be a very, very, very narrow time frame. Uh, it should have been more targeted to those that were affected. I mean, you know, PPP went out, which was the business yes, portion. And you had a lot of companies that were eligible that never shut down, that were making more money during COVID. And they still got millions of dollars. Yes, so yes, it, it turned into something that it wasn't intended for. Um, you also made a comment that it allowed some liberal states to stay closed, you know, case in point, when they were sending the $600 a week for those that were unemployed, they lowered it to 300 towards the end. Well, our governor kept that coming. Most of the surrounding state governors stopped it. Well, why do you think yep. we've got a workforce problem? Well, people got dependent on those checks and they were making more yes. money sitting at the house. Well, you develop bad habits when you can get a check for not doing squat. You're and right. I, I think that that was punitive here in Kentucky, and I think the governor needs to be held responsible. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Not only not only that uh, that you're you're exactly right on the um, personal level, but on the government level, we, we didn't have that money. We just printed the money, well, and right. uh, we're we're seeing that with the inflation now. I think is in large mm. part. Sure uh, are. Uh, because of that. Yes, sir. Well, we're speaking with uh, the mayor of Somerset, Kentucky, Mr. Alan Keck. And we appreciate him being here with us. He's running for governor of Kentucky. And so, uh, Mayor, do you have a website? I know that you do, a website that you can send people to. We or, do. Uh, I'd love for folks to check it out. That platform I mentioned, the Keck Game Plan, is is on there. So you can go to Keck, which is K-E-C-K, for Kentucky.com. So Keck, F-O-R, Kentucky.com. And, you know, you have the ability to volunteer, which includes you can pray for us, you can knock doors. Uh, you can host a meet and greet. You can donate on that website. You can look at our platform, uh, keep up with all the news, seeing where we're going, where we've been. And uh, I would love. So, again, that's keck4kentucky.com. Okay, very good. Well, Mayor, we appreciate you being with us and taking your time to and, and reaching out to us to, to come on the program. Well, Joshua, it's been a treat. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to the Penny Ryle Perspectives podcast. The Penny Ryle Perspectives is originally produced as a radio program for the Light and Truth Radio Network, a radio ministry of the Island Ford Baptist Church in Madisonville, Kentucky, where Brother Farrell Shepherd is the pastor. Madisonville is in western Kentucky, an area known as the Penny Ryle region. You can find out more information about Island Ford Baptist Church or the Light and Truth Radio Network or listen to live programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week by visiting the website of the flagship radio station, WSOF, at WSOF.org. If you have a question or a topic that you would like for us to answer, or discuss on the Penny Ryle Perspectives, 
You can leave us a message by going to anchor.fm backslash Joshua hyphen shepherd. That's S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. The number seven backslash message. Or you may email your question to Joshua at WSOF.org. We hope that you have enjoyed this edition of the Penny Ryle Perspectives.